I think what they lose sight of is in the end, they're not thinking about you and me. They're not thinking about the United States or the country they serve. They're thinking about themselves. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, as followers of the show will know, we've been very blessed to have some really extraordinary scientific minds and medical people on the show. And today is no exception. Uh, what we, who we have on the, on the show today is perhaps the leading person in terms of uh, speaking out and documenting uh, COVID vaccine harms. And his name is Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, as you know, uh, we've had other doctors on the show, including Dr. Roger Hodkinson, uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, esteemed epidemiologist and one of the writers of the Great Barrington Declaration, Dr. Eric Payne uh, of Alberta, Dr. William Mackis, um, Dr. Robert Malone, and we've even <laughs> given a, a shout out to the other side. We've had Dr. Paul Offit on the show, uh, and most people didn't like what he had to say. I think they're going to like what Dr. McCullough has to say a lot more. In any case, welcome to the show, uh, Dr. McCullough. It's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to talking with you for some time. Well, thanks for having me. Great. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction to you just for people, the few people who are not among your nearly million Twitter followers. Before we do that, as we always do on this show, uh, we have a few aphorisms just to frame our discussion. Uh, the first one is from uh, your former president, perhaps future president, uh, depending how many times they decide to indict him. That's uh, President Trump, uh, who said, uh, we will distribute a vaccine we will defeat the virus, which I've always found to be a strange phrase, and we will end the pandemic. Uh, secondly, from Pope Francis, who said, thanks to God's grace and to the work of many, we now have vaccines to protect us from COVID-19. Uh, and then, of course, uh, from uh, from Tedros Ghebreyes, uh, who is the head of the WHO, he's, who said uh, that I would like to assure the public that WHO will not endorse a vaccine that is not safe and effective. Of course, this topic could not be introduced without speaking to the, the fountainhead of science himself, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who said, quote, we are allied in this battle against misinformation and disinformation that jeopardizes the health of people everywhere, but also our civil rights and our democracy. Throughout my career, I have always upheld the truth. It is a moral principle ingrained in me. I Sorry, I had to giggle when I read that part about truth because uh, I happen to be a, a Christian. And there's that part in the gospel is a conversation between Christ and Pontius Pilate about that topic. Anyway, who do we have on the show today? Well, we're very, very blessed to have Dr. Peter McCullough here. He is a renowned internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist. He has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. Uh, and... Uh, He's also uh, the chief scientific officer of the Wellness Company, which we're going to talk about today. And he manages common infectious diseases, as well as the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infection and the injuries developed after the COVID-19 vaccine uh, out of Dallas, Texas, USA. Welcome to the show, Dr. McCullough. 
where do we begin with you? I'd like to start with you, if you don't mind, uh, with kind of a, I guess, a, a controversial appearance that you made on the Joe Rogan uh, program, which sort of, uh, I would say, sort of vaulted you uh, into the public sphere and made you very well known. One of the things I want to ask you about is uh, one of the things you said on the Rogan program uh, was that uh, there was an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And it seemed to be completely organized and intentional in order to create an acceptance for and then promote max vaccination. And you also said that it's pretty clear that the pandemic was planned. So my question for you, doctor, is why were you so certain about these conclusions? Obviously, these were very controversial at the time, mm. still disputed now. I, I happen to agree with you. I think you're, you're bang on mm. based upon what, the, the, you know, what I know, which doesn't even begin to approach what you do about the pandemic. But why were you so sure about these things? What made you so certain? Well, I was not only sure about them, I put them in writing. Right. I published a book, a five-star bestseller, Courage to Face COVID-19. It's nonfiction. We lay yeah. this out. This is clear now, and it's got 300 citations. There is a biopharmaceutical complex. There is a syndicate that's formed. They've met for years in Davos, Switzerland, at the World Economic Forum meetings. They're some of the most powerful people all over the world. They include the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, the Wellcome Trust, Gates Foundation, the Vaccine Incubator, CEPI, Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovation, which Gates and WF formed, uh, the regulatory agencies, CDC, NIH, FDA, the uh, MHRA in England, Health Canada, TGA in Australia, SAFRA in South Africa, EMA. They're all tightly linked now through this mechanism, the suppliers, vaccine companies, other biopharmaceutical, biodefense suppliers. You'll see nearly all the key players in this at the World Economic Forum. And uh, they've been at work now easily since, I'd say probably the first landmark is 2006, where HHS and Congress wrote the PREP Act in the United States. The PREP Act says we're going to have a pandemic. We're going to have a biological threat. And when we do, it's going to be a national security operation. And we're going to behave like we're invaded by a, uh, you know, an adversarial force, in this case, a, a virus or, or some fungal spore bacteria. And then we're going to have countermeasures. And there's going to be broad protections uh, against any you know, immunity, any liability for these countermeasures, and they're going to be supported with unprecedented executive powers. That's all laid out in 2006. And then since 2012 forward, as chronicled in the timeline by Peter Bregan in the book COVID-19 and the Global Press. Yes, Crisis, yeah, yes. that's on our reading list. Great book. Right. It's, there's 36 pandemic preparedness planning events, 36 of them since 2012. Right. 25 have written documents. You can just read them. So again, you know, you asked me how I'm so sure I just read them and then six of them are filmed. You can just watch them. That's how, that's how one is very sure that this is planned. Just watch the pandemic preparedness planning events. One of the most notable ones is event 201 carried out in the fall of 2019. All the players are there. U.S. Senators, uh, Avril Levine, who's the current director of national intelligence for the United States. She's there and she's paired up with 
George Gao, the head of the Chinese CDC. And you know what scenario they had in the event 201? How do they cover up the, uh, the emergence of the virus from the Wuhan lab? That's in event 201. That's the fall of 2019. So, so this was all laid out. You know, one of the interesting things about this whole thing is all in the open. There's no, there's no conspiracy theories here. We're just simply laying out the facts. Well, l- let me ask you this. We had, we had Paul Offit on the show. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And uh, he's patented some vaccines, as, as you probably know. And, uh, you know, I put all of the quote-unquote conspiracy theories, which are obviously no longer conspiracy theories, put to him. And I could not make a dent. And he's convinced that these, va- in fact, he said the, these vaccines are the greatest medical miracle ever. That's what he said about the COVID-19 vaccine. Why are people like Paul Offit so certain that they are right and you are wrong? Is Could it be that they are that captured uh, by this uh, biomedical, um, what did you call it? Biomedic medical conspiracy? Uh, no, it's a biopharmaceutical complex. complex, right. Right, right. right. Why, are, they, are they just captured by that or how could they be so convinced that they are right understanding that you know there isn't any ever any real consensus in science but but why are they so sure that you're wrong and they're right well there simply are data and two or more important you know viewpoints on things right so um you know the fda says they cause myocarditis they said it in june of 2021 now over a year later Offit comes out and says, there's a link between the vaccines and myocarditis over a year later. Yeah. So, so to me, that seems like bias. So you may ask, well, why is he so enthusiastic? The answer is bias and bias is not a good thing in medicine. So why would someone like him be biased, you know, to, to making an incorrect conclusion? Uh, number one, is uh, it's very possible his entire career is dependent on promoting vaccines. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's on the vaccine uh, advisory panel for the FDA. His entire research portfolio of grants may depend on vaccines. Mine d- doesn't. Uh, the limited publications he has is on vaccines. Right. So, so if your entire career is depending on something, and to view it in a favorable light. Let, let me add the kicker. Let's say he's afraid of COVID and he took the vaccines himself. Okay, now we got a problem. Now he can't be objective because he's right. taking the vaccines. So as the vaccines you know, roll out and we're seeing blood clots and heart damage and neurologic damage and stroke and all these problems, you can imagine the sheer terror that's in his mind. He mm-hmm. can't be objective now because mm-hmm. these vaccines are circulating in his bloodstream. Yeah, yeah. That, and that, that problem is probably not particular to him. That probably applies to a great many millions of people who have taken these vaccines and are sort of walking around in disbelief. Uh, one of the toughest things to get people to do is to admit that they made a mistake or that they went wrong or that they've been duped. And that that may be part of the reason why all the, as you say, all this data is out there. And yet there's still so much, let, let, let's call it resistance to the, to the truth. The, would you agree with that assessment? It's true. I think the only people who can give a fair assessment of this 
is people whose careers are not dependent on vaccines and people who didn't take the shots. They're the only ones that can give an un, uh, unbiased opinion. Uh, well, you know, it, I got my like, hand up then. <laughs> it, well, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, um, uh, let's say I'm trying to give an opinion on a pacemaker. Well, if I got yeah. the pacemaker installed, I'm not going to be objective about it, right? I mean, I got to believe that pacemaker is, is doing a good thing in my chest. So, you know, this is a simple form of bias. You'll see it a lot when you talk to people in general, like let's say you talk to people at work or at church or school, and they'll say, you know what, I don't want to talk about it. You'll say, listen, I'm kind of concerned about all the people, you know, dying after the vaccines. I don't want to talk about it. That's a signal that they probably took the shots themselves. Uh, you know, if someone is following the government schedule, they're on their seventh shot right now. Do you know any public figure that's come out and said they took seven shots? No. No, not even President Trump, not Biden, not Harris, not Trudeau. No one has said they've taken seven shots. Not even Offit has said he's taken seven shots. Why? In, in my home province of Alberta, uh, in fact, and, and this data is suppressed, but um, in, in terms of the the connection between the, the vaccines and deaths, but the number one cause of death in Alberta now for the second straight year uh, is unknown causes. Uh, and it's outstripping everything else, cancer, heart disease, everything. But no one no one can speak out and, and say and say that, in fact, it's, it's connected to these causes. Some very brave doctors like uh, Dr. William Mackis, whom I know you, you, you know well, uh, he's going around everywhere talking about this, just as you are. But uh, it is it is very very frightening, very concerning that um, this this data, this important data, is being is being suppressed. Well, listen, you have the data. You said the number yeah. one cause of death is <coughs> unknown. Right. So we know now from our paper, and Macus and Hodgkinson are co-authors. We looked at yeah. every single case that had an autopsy. We had an extensive search. This uh, project was commissioned and approved by University of Michigan School of Public Health. I'm a graduate of that school. Nick Hulsher is the mm -hmm. first author. 600 papers. We sifted through all of them, got to the autopsy reports, extracted all the information, independently adjudicated the cases. The answer is if someone dies after taking a shot, 73.9% of the time, it's due to the vaccine. This is very important. So it's not cause of death unknown. In Alberta, if they took a shot and they died, there's about a 74% chance it's due to the vaccine. Now, before COVID, death in Alberta, as it were everyone else, was always known. And death is in, in Western societies is 40% due to known heart disease, 40% known cancer. It means we know the diagnosis ahead of time. And then 20% other obvious causes motor vehicle accident, suicide, homicide, drug overdose. Very few cases are unknown. So I can tell you it's not unknown in Alberta. It's mm -hmm. actually the COVID-19 vaccine until proven otherwise. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, about the wellness company. Uh, the two gentlemen you just mentioned who are part of that now, this wellness company, and uh, I'm just looking at the advert for it um, uh, from Foster Colson, who's the founder and, and chairman. Um, and it says here that after more than 15 years leading and building successful businesses, he became aware of a failing medical system. And so the, this new solution is the wellness company. 
Um, what is the wellness company is the solution to specifically? Wellness company is coming on its first year, first anniversary. I'm the chief scientific officer. I serve in a part-time role. I advise the company, but uh, it was the brainchild of e-commerce juggernaut, uh, you know, really incredible family, the Colson family out of British Columbia. You know, Colson right. Aviation, they make some of the fastest planes in the world. Foster, right. uh, you know, is a part of this um, storied family. And uh, he approached me and uh, other key leaders. We said we need to do this. We created a virtual healthcare company, and it's real. Uh, it's a, a computer uh, application. You go to TWC.health. It's got uh, verticals of health uh, education, nutraceuticals and supplements, uh, telemedicine. We're talking about you know engaging with a doctor, a diagnostic tests, X-rays, prescriptions, all the treatment, dentistry, community dentistry a network of community pharmacies that will always fill the drugs, exemptions from vaccines, other things. You know, this is what uh, people have been needing. Uh, the Canadian division led by uh, Hodgkinson, Macus and others uh, now, uh, you know, in business. And uh, it's going to go worldwide. I can tell you right now, wellness companies recruiting some of the top people in the world. It's incredibly popular. United States is less than $10 a month to be a member. And all the products very affordable. Physician visits are very affordable. I think they're sixty dollars or less, and it's twenty-four by seven. Uh, it's really a terrific service. Uh, a lot of people have it as a backup. They have the regular doctor, but they right. have the company as a backup. Yeah, you uh, you you publish uh, a wonderful um, periodical, I guess, online that uh, that I receive. I'm a subscriber to called uh, Courageous Discourse. And in one of the recent ones that was published actually just earlier this week, uh, there was a piece entitled COVID-19 vaccine induced cardiac arrest, the miracle of pilot snow. You want to talk about this a little bit? I thought this was really fascinating. Tremendous case. I got a chance to meet Bob Snow, a captain for American Airlines. He took the Johnson and Johnson shot against his will in the fall of uh, 2021. And then a few months later, suffers a cardiac arrest just as he pulls up an American Airlines jet to the jetway uh, in DFW Airport here in Dallas. And let me tell you, there's hundreds of people on this plane. If he would have had a cardiac arrest, you know, 10 minutes earlier, it would have been just a total disaster during the landing. And by the, believe it or not, by the grace of God and, and good luck, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, was there a doctor there to shock you? He goes, no. He goes, I went out. He goes, literally, it was lights out. And it turned out when they called 911, the paramedics were at the gate next door dealing with some older lady who was having some medical. So they literally just were over there, lickety split. They got the paddles on. They defibrillated him. Uh, it took him three shocks. They got him back. He didn't suffer any neurologic damage. And then from the hospital where they took him to, it was right by the airport, he said, look, this is what the vaccine did to me. And he's right. It was a vaccine-induced uh, cardiac arrest. He uh, uh, had a defibrillator placed, and he had a unique type of defibrillator. And I show it in the substack if anybody's interested. It doesn't go into the heart itself. It doesn't go into the blood vessels. It literally sits below the pectoralis muscle, and it senses the heart. It simply would shock if he had another cardiac arrest. And I learned that, you know, he can do all kinds of physical activities and uh, unlike a typical patient with an ICD. And uh, I imagine Nick 
the Uwe Chuchu, who um, is a USC player who had a cardiac arrest, probably after the vaccine last year for USC basketball, he has a defibrillator in place and he's back on the team. And now his teammate, Bronny James, just had a near miss cardiac arrest right. on USC. So USC ought to be pretty used to these cardiac arrests. And I wonder if the players now who are taking the vaccine and suffering cardiac arrest, if they survive, if they're going to get these subcutaneous ICDs and be able to go back and play. Particularly, I wonder if DeMar Hamlin has one. Right. Um, this, uh, this link between the COVID-19 shot and heart inflammation, uh, I was reading uh, now there's actually, and this is again from your Substack, that there's a CDC safety group that says now there's a a likely link. Of course, you've been saying this for a long time, but are you, were you surprised to hear that coming out of the CDC? I mean, they've obviously been resisting the truth about this link for a long time, haven't they? They're pretty late to the party. You know, I point out that the FDA on their open meeting slides, of which Paul Offit, by the way, was there, Verbeck, uh, <laughs> October 22nd of 2020, they have on their slide that they expect to see myocarditis. This is October of 2020. It's expected that they're going to see it. It's on their slides. So when the FDA comes out with an official warning in, Jan in June of 2021 that the vaccines cause myocarditis, every single medical college, every single medical system, every single sports league, should have paid attention to the warning. And so for the CDC to come out a year later and say, well, maybe there's a link. Well, I said, wait a minute, the FDA said they caused myocarditis. The, the, the sad part of this is that during COVID, the NCAA, Big Ten Athletic League, the US military, they actually had screening programs for myocarditis with COVID. They didn't find much. It was a handful of cases, uh, no serious hospitalizations or deaths. So COVID itself doesn't cause serious myocarditis. But when the vaccines came in, the FDA said they caused myocarditis. And you know what? None of the sports teams screen for it anymore. So if they were yeah. going to force the players to take the shots, they should have been screening them for myocarditis. The NFL uh, Players Association uh, didn't want the shots. The, the NFL forced it on them after the NFL took money from the Biden administration, HHS, called COVID Community Core Money. They felt obligated to force it on the players. Well, if they're going to force a vaccine on athletes that causes myocarditis, and that started August of 2021, they should have had myocarditis screening. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you as a cardiologist, when there's heart inflammation, we can't let the players exercise because the, the, the surge of adrenaline will trigger a cardiac arrest. We knew that long before COVID. So, um, you know, the case in point that's the saddest case so far is Oscar Cabrera Adamas. I don't know if you're following this case, but yes, he's I a, read about this one. Yeah, he's a, he's a European foreign league um, basketball player. He takes the shots, has myocarditis, and he has a cardiac arrest on the floor, face down. He just face plants. He's in full cardiac arrest. They resuscitate him. He survives. And then he tweets out that he has myocarditis due to the vaccine. So this is now there's complete transparency. While he's trying to return and then he's on a treadmill in a health center outside of the United States, and he has a full cardiac arrest and he dies on the treadmill. Oh my goodness. So that's yeah. just two years after vaccine-induced myocarditis. That case really, really scared me. 
Now, Pilot, no, his ICD has not gone off. That's great. Hopefully, the US, USC player, Nick Uwuchuchu, hopefully his um, ICD didn't go off. Hopefully, Damar Hamlin has one, but who plays for the Buffalo Bills. But the ICDs are there for a reason. And I can tell you, Adamas did not have an ICD. Otherwise, it would have saved him. And in that vein, you become somewhat involved in this connection between the medical, uh, you know, the medical world and and uh, constitutional freedom. And uh, there was a publication um, by your foundation. This is by uh, Mr. Leak. Uh, but you've you've also been involved in in some litigation. You, you talked about a landmark lawsuit concerning wrongful death during pandemic hospitalization. So is part of your work now sort of expanding out, not just from hardcore uh, research that you do and all your publications, but also getting involved in some of the the resulting uh, uh, lawsuits and litigation on behalf of people, for example, like Mr. Hartman, uh, whose whose son was killed, Mm -hmm. uh, who, who died because of vaccination. Is that part of what your work is is expanding out into now, or do you do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. The McCullough Foundation is a, a big advance. Uh, it's fully 501c3 tax deductible donations. McCullough Foundation, uh, McCulloughFND.org. It does support uh, my legal efforts. I'm a, a witness now, pro bono witness in over a hundred cases. I'm a plaintiff or defendant in about twelve. I was a highly sought after medical expert witness long before COVID. I was in some of the highest profile medical cases in the country, including intellectual property cases. So I know my way around the courtroom. You know, I'm involved in multiple Canadian cases at this point in time. And with my publication track record, I mean, who's going to challenge it? We've already kind of gone through that. I've already published more on COVID than anybody uh, that you're going to bring up to, you know, to be a an opposing witness. And not only that, but I'm in practice. I've treated COVID patients. I published the first one to publish how to treat it. I'm publishing the first methods on how to treat the vaccine injuries. My track record's been flawless. People have tried to take different strikes against me. It hasn't worked. I just continue to cite the data like I did today. I know the facts. And I've been honest. I've been honest with America, Canada, Canada and the world on this. Yeah. So, Dr. McCullough, before you go, I just want to quickly mention a couple of your books. You mentioned one of them, The Courage to Face COVID-19. This is a book that was published uh, in May of last year, uh, it's available on Amazon anywhere that you buy books. Uh, uh, and uh, this is uh, the story of doctors who developed a safe and effective early treatment for COVID-19 and their battle with the biopharmaceutical complex f- to to suppress it. And then there's, there's a second book, which is the next wave is brave, and that seems to be what you you were just talking about, yeah. standing up for the you know standing up for medical freedom. This is a book you just published last fall. Uh, with so, with some other uh, authors, so I, I just mentioned those. In addition to the foundation, uh, people who are watching this, taking this in. Please check out those two books. I've read the first one. I haven't yet gotten to the next wave is brave, but I read the courage to face COVID nineteen. And it's just a brilliant book. Uh, really, really enhanced my understanding of some of the things that Dr. McCullough was talking about today. Thank you, sir. It was, it was our pleasure having you as our special guest. Thank you so much Thank for you. having me.